0: So then, also, before I begin the talk, I just want to mention how we could fit in the fact of a Dharma talk into a day of silence. Come, come. Just like it's easy when there's not much to do during the day. It's easy that the meals take on a huge importance. And that can be beautiful. We can enjoy every mouthful even of flavors that we don't like so much, sometimes. Or it can be a pain (laughs) when the mind wants to go to lunch. When is the bell going to ring, or whatever. And similarly, now suddenly there's an hour that there could be words the whole time. And it would be easy for that to take on more importance than it really has. So it's relatively unimportant. What's more important already is happening. And sometimes you may feel that and sometimes you may not feel that. But I want to just say, not to make too much of the the words. Helpful and relatively unimportant. Isn't it? (laughs) I'd like to call this talk by borrowing a line from a modern prophet who's a poet who's still alive in the United States. His name is Wendell Berry. The doors have opened. And just a few words about Wendell Berry. That he was a kind of groovy New York City poet with other groovy New York City poets who are even more famous than he. And then something started to kind of clunk, clunk, clunk. It wasn't working for him. And he went back to the land where he had grown up and where his family had lived and farmed in the southeastern United States. Kentucky, famous for the horse race. <coughs> It's very green. <coughs> and he he did actually actively farm. And that's always you can taste the earth in his poems, the earth of where he worked. You can taste the grass and you can smell the animals. And, and so he he's very actively He's very open to feel the goodness of hard work, which doesn't sound like a revolution, but it is actually, it's a revolutionary exploration to experience the goodness of working hard. And so just to put that a little bit in the context of culture. where we've we've come to what seems like maybe sort of the end point. We've come to an extreme of instead of me doing the hard work, I will more or less in some way or another enslave you to do it for me. So that's been happening for some few thousand years, give or take a few thousand years. And this obviously has echoes with what I was saying yesterday about dignity that we can't buy, we can't buy. And at the same time he talks about how good hard work is. And how much even on a farm happens while we sleep. So the goodness of both, the hard work and what we can't do but happens. To bring nourishment, to bring actual food and similarly spiritual food. So we might start with one short poem of his. There's a collection of poems called Sabbaths, and now he's come out with a new, a new one. This is from the old one. So Sabbath is, <coughs> in the Judeo-Christian tradition, a day of rest after the days of hard work. And it, it fits together, necessarily, the hard work and the rest. He doesn't mention anything about that in this poem, but you need to know that, I think. And because there's, he's a U.S. poet, he's not thinking about you if you're not native English-speaking, so I'll, I'll break it a lot the first time through, and then we can read it more fluidly. So the pasture, so that would be like a field where animals eat. The pasture, bleached. So that's what happens if you leave your laundry in the sun here, <laughs> without any chemical. <laughs> it loses its color. The pasture, bleached and cold two weeks ago, begins to grow in the spring light and rain. The new grass trembles, so that's like lightly shaking. The new grass trembles under the wind's flow. The flock, and that is a a little bit, kind of, Sort of biblical word for a herd of sheep, or goats, or, but probably sheep. No, elonced. <laughs> <clears throat> the flock, so a bunch of sheep. Barn weary, so they've been all winter inside eating dried hay, probably. Dry grass. The flock, barn weary, so tired of being inside. Comes to it again comes to the, the field. New to the lambs, new to the baby sheep, a place their mothers know. And I might just pause already here in terms of not just the English language, but the meaning, the beauty of that. The feeling of ourselves in our practice being both the lamb where it's new and the mother who already is returning to what we know. So a, a feeling of two parts sometimes where it's Familiar and good as the mother and as the baby lamb, as the, as the baby sheep, it's new and it turns out to be good, but we don't know yet, <laughs> but our mother is there. So sometimes that feeling could be allowed or cultivated in our practice, it could be helpful. <clears throat> when it just feels too new, too unknown, or if it feels too known, just to invite the other aspect. So I might back up, since this is a short poem, to the beginning and roll again through. Okay. The pasture, bleached and cold two weeks ago, begins to grow in the spring light and rain. The new grass trembles under the wind's flow. The flock, barn weary, comes to it It almost should be again, because it's a rhyming poem in this world of not rhyming. New to the lambs, a place their mothers know, welcoming, bright, and savory in its green, so tasty, delicious, in its green, the grass, the field. So fully does the time recover it. Nibbles of pleasure go all over it. Mm-hmm. So nibbles are a little bite. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sometimes it's hard to hear poetry <coughs> to hear it and not see it. <coughs> Anyone need something repeated for now? Or any question about the words or Okay, good. Yeah, I didn't do much with that. Okay. So the flock, the group of sheep, barn weary, comes to it again, to the field, to the green. New to the lambs, a place their mothers know, welcoming, bright, and savory in its green, so fully does the time recover it. So fully does, just with time passing but also not being overused, not being misused, the land naturally allows the grass to grow again. The grass allows the land to turn into grass so there was nothing and then there's grass again by itself so fully does the time recover it the field the pasture nibbles of pleasure go all over it Ah, <sighs> it's good food isn't <laughs> it So he is describing our spiritual practice. So it's not just some, in India, now exotic Kentucky farm animals. (laughs) Sometimes we get the feeling of time, enough time has passed and green has grown and it's welcoming. And I I would venture, I would dare to guess that maybe at all times somewhere there is a field, so you might wish the field were in your emotional life, but your emotional life is bleached and cold, but somewhere else I would guess, I would dare to guess that yet there is a green field, welcoming, bright and savory. And I especially like this poem here where we have the rice fields, because hearing the words welcoming, bright, savory, it does something. But when you see it, when you're living next to it, (coughs) it can, uh, we can absorb it maybe better. So I want to talk about discrimination in a kind of positive meaning of the word. Yesterday with the Dogen lines where there are experiences that appear and disappear and are completely gone. But there's something that he called the power of practice that doesn't go and doesn't lose its possibility of empowering us, of of growing, of ripening. So how to feel, how to know, how to guess the difference between what doesn't need anything more from us, but just enjoying it as it goes by. It doesn't even go by (laughs) as it kind of flashes. And what is worthy of our attention? So discrimination, the word, generally we mean discrimination, we mean someone is discriminated against for an unfair reason, because of the color of their skin, the shape of their body, the way they speak the amount of money that they have or make or their parents have or whatever they pretend to have or whatever (laughs) and we can and it's not a small thing but we can by the way not a small thing notice how much of that kind of discrimination goes on in us against others and against ourselves it's the same And that's kind of a good clue, it's the same. When we notice discrimination happens against someone or for someone, equally. It's equally unfair <laughs> and unwise. <coughs> Can we kind of trace that rope that's binding back in and feel where it binds us, and feel that being bound doesn't suit us, is not, um, doesn't fit? Yourself. So it's not like wrong in the outer moralistic way. It, it could be also said to be wrong, but exploring in a feeling level how it doesn't fit. So that's, by the way, important, and it can take up a lot of your time, but more important still. And gently, slowly, subtly, often not in your conscious level of experience, but still more important is growing your own ability to know what is worthy of your attention, of your energy, of your living. What calls you? Do you think you would like a story first or just a little explanation first? We may not get through both today, so. Story. (laughs) I think so too. (coughs) So maybe what I'll do is really quick explanation, theoretical thing and then story and then if and when we ever get to the theoretical, it doesn't mind, I don't mind. So we usually have to start with thinking. We have to think our way through what might be helpful, what might not. Because we have no other way of guessing. Then as that develops, it feels more like a feeling and it has a lot of emotional, it's like a relation of emotion. And so it's very much influenced by the past still and by our pain and wish to protect. it's maybe a little more accurate than just trying to guess by thinking, by logic. So we go with that because that's what we have. That's the best that we can do. And to be, to go easy, to be at ease on yourself. That's the best you can do, sometimes. Then that starts to develop to a more subtle feeling that's less uh, doubtful, less second-guessing, More often. (laughs) Less often, second guessing. Less emotional. And then there's something that I could call sifting, which I'll explain the word sifting through. It's not a thinking process, it's not an emotion, there's no emotion. But there is a kind of gesture that happens inside of of checking. So sifting would be, (coughs) one example of sifting is if you're baking, you can, if you're a traditional baker, put the flour through A screen so a screen a screen like this is a kind of a screen so that what isn't a fine flower will not come through will stay up at the top and also the fine flower that comes through is more fluffed is more has more air so then there's a kind of sifting of as a way of best guessing what is helpful right now and that gets less and less thinking less and less emotion less and less noticeable basically and after a while which depending on our interest intensity amount of time confidence courage support etc could be a few weeks months years decades mm. There's not willpower involved either. There's not trying involved. There's no self-consciousness of doing the right thing. There's not choice to do the right thing. But there could be an enjoyment of the fluidity and the rhythm. So that's the, the quick sketch of the explanation and we could again say there are probably some areas in your life that you're quite fluid in patience and jumping in with a response that's helpful inwardly and outwardly and some situations that you get completely stuck and completely burning up with not knowing what to do and definitely doing the opposite of what you meant to and etc. <coughs> and that can already help get out of our usual way of looking at ourselves as black or white, as totally going great or totally going terrible. Which is a way that we pass our time and something in us must enjoy it because we do it a lot. And it's not really fun, and it's, it's not really living. And as we come to the more fluid, the main reason for the poem, with the field that comes green, just because it happens to be that there's more light and some rain in springtime and because it happened to be treated well in the past. Similarly, as we can leave behind the discriminating thinking, like, oh, this is right for me, I must do it. And this is definitely wrong for me, I must not do it. We start to leave that behind. And after some time, different reference points that we made like that, that were helpful at the time, get completely healed. So it's, again, just a new green field that we're free to venture on and nibble, and it can be delicious. It's it's not a going against, or a going towards. And so, the possibility of living, then, without a single discriminating thought, in the words of another Zen teacher, A single discriminating thought, Dogen also talks about this, (coughs) that sets heaven and earth infinitely apart, or that completely in that moment disconnects us from our best guess. So once upon a time, (coughs) we may believe it's a true story, it's passed down as a true story, we may understand that there could be things added, (coughs) we don't don't know, but it's a good story. There was a young man named Pala. We could call him Rut. He was from a very wealthy family in his area <coughs> at the time of Gotam Buddha. And Gotam Buddha was visiting. And I just the area and the people in that time, even if they were into being wealthy, and it's it's kind of cute because the way they see themselves as um, living their lives, is sort of like making money and making merit or enjoying life and making merit. So merit would be um, doing things that are considered to have a good momentum that will lead to a better, more spiritual life next time. So you kind of postpone, but you kind of put something in the bank, spiritually, <laughs> while you do what you please with your money. And <coughs> And it's it's cute that at the time this was like it seems a, a phrase that was there. So <laughs> we could say having fun and making merit. And so one way to have merit is to go and listen to Gotam Buddha. <laughs> so they, they would go and listen. And just to think of the patience of the man of of Gotam. That he must know that they've just come to make some more merit. <laughs> <laughs> Except maybe the one guy. <laughs> and but he's he freely apparently gave, gave a nice teaching and they all gave their <clears> throat> polite throat> hello and their polite goodbye and <laughs> to not be completely bored by that. <laughs> was Gautama Buddha's style, it doesn't have to be everyone's style, don't try to copy him. (laughs) Other enlightened people could be another way, (coughs) but it's quite impressive. But this time there was this Pal in the audience who heard something like that one line in Dogen's teaching yesterday that permeated his whole body and mind, apparently, and he he thought, wow, there's another way of, of living that's bright and pure as a polished shell. And it's not easy. It, it does need certain helpful conditions around for some time. I want to do that. And so he went straight up after the talk to Gotam and said, I want to come with you and Gautam, in his usual way, which is, I I take it as dry humor, (coughs) with a lot of wisdom, met Ratapala and said, yes, and do you have your parents' permission? You can't come with me without your parents' permission. Mm -hmm. So in another moment, maybe Gautam could have said, yeah, come on, let's go. (laughs) This is the most important thing. But so Ratapala went to ask his parents and they said, we would not willingly even let you go when you die, how could we let you go when you're still alive? No, you can't go. And and you can hear a little bit, maybe the son of a wealthy family in what he does next, which is lie down on the floor and say, I'm not moving until you give me permission to go. (laughs) Maybe a little spoiled. <clears throat> <laughs> or maybe just very confident, very determined. <clears throat> his friends tried to convince him in the same way that his parents could never let him go. He, he, he shouldn't try to go. And he says the same thing, I'm, I will either die and they will let me go, (laughs) or I will go and they will let me go. So then the friends tell the parents and the parents accept. And they say, okay, you can go, but you must come to visit. (coughs) And that works, everyone is okay with that compromise. And a couple of weeks later, the group of people who are practicing with Gotam move on and they just walk day by day to a completely different part of India. And there they stop, near Shravasti, and they practice. And somehow, Ratapala, and it says before long in the text, before long, which I like. It doesn't say sort of, sometimes it says before the next moon or whatever. It gives an actual sense of time. It just says before long, which in spiritual practice, what is long? What is before long? (laughs) (laughs) so before long his practice came to fruit and what people practiced for happened for him it unfolded and then he knew now I could visit my parents so again sometimes we have the image of an enlightened one as someone who would be kind of um, careless because he doesn't have to go to see his parents. It's not because he should, but it feels appropriate to him. There's that discrimination that he can go now to visit them. He can go back to the situation that he couldn't be in before. He couldn't be in that situation and meditate before at home, but now he can. So the field is green again. And it's really, it's a really very good, dramatic story what happens. He, he goes back, walking gradually, day by day, he arrives. Now he has his head shaved, he's wearing different clothes, he's carrying just a bowl, and he goes to his own home to ask for food for lunch. <coughs> and the father is just inside with the door open and sees this shaved-headed, guy in a robe and meanwhile he's having his hair braided by whoever, I think three servants or whatever. The father is having his hair braided and he looks, he sees through the door someone coming to beg at the house with a shaved head, a meditator. And the father says, people like that are the ones that made my one and only son go away. And so they not only didn't give any food, they not only didn't just say politely no, They gave what's called abuse in the text, so they they probably yelled at him, you dirty beggar, which is what, they were called beggars. The name that Gotam Buddha, again, I think it's dry humor, called the people who were meditating with him formally, bhikshu, so beggar. They don't tell us what the abuse was, they just say. And so Ratapala goes away and as he's leaving he notice notices one of the servants of the house is throwing away some old porridge and I don't know if you've ever tried old porridge mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so gross so he asked the servant since you're thr- are, are you throwing that away and if you are could I have it since I didn't get anything at the front door can I have something at the back door And as she's giving it to him, she recognizes, the servant, recognizes the familiar features of the face, hands, and feet. And she goes running to tell the, the mother of Ratapala, And she goes running to tell the father of Ratapala, And the father of Rattapala goes running to find him. And by now, Ratapala is sitting, leaning against some shelter somewhere, some shed, some little building somewhere eating his old porridge and the father says oh is it you it's really you oh please my son come home i'm so happy to see you and ratapala says it is enough i've already had my lunch and the father says oh but will you please come tomorrow then so I feel like the authority in the words that Rattapalli used saying it's enough, I will not have a second lunch. The authority in the words must have stopped the father because otherwise the father sounds like an unstoppable kind of guy. But it did stop him, apparently. And he went back <laughs> and he got a trap kind of ready. He got piles of gold and covered them with the cloth and he got all of the wives, so apparently Retapala had more than one wife and he got them all, he gave them gold jewelry and he said, make yourselves to be as um, something like comely and dear, so as beautiful and beloved as, poss- as you ever could have been, as he used to love you that way, as was attractive to him. Look as attractive to him as he used to love you to be even. be ready at lunchtime. And so Ratapala came, and the father dramatically rips off the cloth on the piles of gold and said, this is only the treasure from your mother's side. There's also the treasure from your father's side, and there's also the treasure from sort of the estate in general or something like that. And Ratapala's like, yeah, right, where's lunch? (laughs) (laughs) Then the the wives, or we could say ex-wives or whatever at this point, go to him, and they're like, oh, Ratapala. And again, it's, I, I, I wonder, it could be that there was some kind of innocence, or it could be that there's a bit of exaggeration over the centuries, but they go to him and, oh, Ratapala, my dear, and he says, please don't bother me, my sisters. And they say, ah, oh, he called us sisters and faint. <laughs> so instead of wife, he's calling me a sister. And, they fall to the ground unconscious, according to the story. This is where we can start to, I think, have a little bit of a sense of humor again. And finally, again, he says, okay, do not harass us. So I don't know if he is alone and calling himself us, like some people do, or if there are people with him. (laughs) But it's kind of, I don't know, maybe kind of cute. Okay, I I have to tell you the line that the wives use (laughs) on him. Even though the English is funny. The wives go running to him and and touch him and say, What are they like, my Lord's son? The nymphs for whose sake you lead the holy life. So they think there's got to be some sort of angels or celestial uh, nymph. How can you say nymph? beautiful beautiful female characters in your meditations that keep you meditating instead of being with us because we're so beautiful (laughs) and he says we do not lead the holy life for the sake of nymphs sisters and then they (coughs) and then he says to his father householder if there is a meal to be given, then give it. Do not harass us. <laughs> and the father serves him with his own hands, all kinds of good food until he's satisfied. And then Rattapala has eaten and he's satisfied, but he still, he still calls his father on the trap. He says, the deer hunter set out a snare, a trap, but the deer did not spring the trap. We ate the bait and now depart, leaving the hunters to lament. (laughs) So he said, I know you were trying to trick me and I took the good food, but I did not get tricked. Goodbye. And then he went to a neighboring king in the same area, the garden of that king. And that king was ordering his servants around saying, oh, go and clean up the garden because I want to go and have a pleasant time there. By by chance, we we can say. But then the servants go to clean up, and they see, go to, uh, go to, they see Ratapala there, <clears throat> and they go back and tell their king, "It's Retapala meditating in your garden." And he was very well respected even before meditating. So the servants are excited, and the king is excited, and the king says, "Never mind. Throw away all the food we had planned for lunch. Let's go and talk to him. Let's go meet him." So a different kind of king. <clears throat> and the king says, there are four kinds of loss. And some people, loss, so where you lose something. And some people, and again, if we can hear a little bit of maybe dry humor or sarcasm. Some people, let's say, start to meditate because of this, these kinds of loss. So they lose their youth, they lose through aging we we can say we lose through aging and that could be something that gets us interested in meditation suddenly we lose we do lose through sickness we all get sick sometimes and that sometimes can bring us to an edge where we think oh maybe meditation is a good idea when we lose things or in here he's saying wealth so we lose money and they give these very elaborate examples of different ways of losing money one is just because as you get old, you've spent money and you're kind of running out and you start to think, mm, what are some other options here? <laughs> Where people used to think of sort of retiring in India to not have to be bothered with the cost of growing old in the West, and now India is getting to be as expensive <laughs> as the West. We just catch ourselves in, in those little ways of being tricky. And the fourth kind of loss, loss of relatives, so loss of, of connection, of friendship, of, of love and in, interpersonal relationship. So we all, we all experience those kinds of loss, but for some people that's their reason to meditate. And the, the king is not saying actually that there's necessarily <coughs> something wrong with that, although there's a feeling of a little bit poking fun, a little bit saying some people meditate for those reasons, that that's their motivation. But you, Ratapala, d- haven't actually experienced any of those four kinds of loss. You're still young, strong, and healthy. You, you could have as much money as you could possibly count in your lifetime. And you have no, one, no one close to you has died. <coughs> so what made you go into meditation? So I think it's quite a good question. I think it's a nice way of asking a question and, and showing that kind of the way that the actual situation got this other king's interest. <clears throat> this other king is in his 80s, so he's gone through those kinds of loss and he knows how that could feel. And Ratapala gives four phrases, four lines from Gotam Buddha that resonated with him enough to inspire him to meditate, to devote his life to meditation for long enough that then he was free to go wherever, <clears throat> any, any field he could nibble, and not be caught in a trap. <clears throat> So the first inspiring line from the Buddha was that the nature of things, but even in the text they add life, life in any world. So living no matter how you find it, no matter what situation you find yourself in. And also, for them, it was very clear that there was not only human life on Earth, there were other kinds of beings. For them, that was very clear. So that, that may be also what they're talking about. Whether you live in heaven, whether you live in hell, wherever you live, whether you live on Earth. Living in any world is, in the words of Dogen, it appears disappears. And I would like to get across the feeling, what I think was the kind of whiff, like the kind of when you can just smell something often in India, (laughs) but it's not always bad. Like now we're getting a whiff of smoke, (laughs) or I am. Sometimes there used to be some night queen just on the other side of the circle before the building, some, a flower that blooms in the evening that you can't, you actually, it's very hard to find the flower. It's a tiny green flower. But the smell, it's called Night Queen, because she has a presence in the evening. So to feel the lightness of being, if we accept that living is continually swept away, the, the, word, the phrase is swept away, life in any world is swept away. I would like to ask you to feel how good that is. Thank goodness. It's all continually swept away. We don't have to do the sweeping. There's a lightness and a creativity. That when we get into that mode of working with the lightness of things, the light touch of things, The second, <clears throat> he calls them summaries of the Dharma that Ratapala heard Gotam say in that one talk where most people were there just to get some merit, but something sunk in to Ratapala, enough to change his life. So the first is that life is, we could I would put it like this, that life continually sweeps itself away and leaves us free leaves us with a lightness so we can hear these different qualities in the freedom of aliveness <clears throat> the second is that the language that in the buddhist kind of phrasing sounds negative but we we now we're so practiced in negativity that we have to actually make <coughs> some bit of a little bit of a push to retranslate from that translation to uh, What does it actually mean? Life in any world, so no matter what situation, there's no protection. So that sounds scary. Like it's almost like now that language would be used, designed to trigger our fear, so that we would obey and try to get protection somewhere anyway. (laughs) but if we're hearing that the nature of things is actually that there is no need to protect it's not possible to protect, there's no need to protect, we can live without the mechanism of defense, of closing down of fighting off, without the mechanism of separation And also, especially, without the mechanism of trying to get you to give me enough power to be safe. Or to get that meditation practice, or that blessing, or that whatever, to give me what I don't have, so that I can be safe for long enough to kind of get through. That's how we're taught to, it's not living, but survive. And we accepted the bargain and we can now decide, we can start to gradually like, tip over the, the bowl, no. And just hearing the way Rattapala, the authority of no, Don't, do not harass us. <laughs> if there's a meal to be given, give it. So if protection is an extra unneeded movement that costs energy that could be better used in another way. And that actually blinds us. It stops us from feeling what's, what living is. Then what that means is that there's this tremendous openness which it takes, so practicing gradually to get used to the fact of. Because we got used to feeling that there was shelter and protection inside my me and you, inside my separateness. We, we can feel right now that there is no protection in that. It doesn't give any shelter, it hurts like crazy. And that's what we're running from. But then we try to get more protection because it hurts. And so it makes us stupid. But just recognizing that the nature of things is this tremendous openness that we can gradually touch, allow, and start to agree with, start to go with. (coughs) It's also this sort of Humble independence that I don't need you to do it for me We do need each other in different ways, but I don't need you to do it for me So the example that Ratapala gives to the king is you have all these ele- <coughs> Elephant armies and all of these chariot So armies on elephants armies on horses armies who are armed <laughs> Which we all have in our different Ways. We have our, where we think we need the elephant army, we have big time protection. Where we need the horse army, we have the really fast protection. And where we have people with guns running around, whatever. We all have it, so it's not a shameful thing to come across. Mm -hmm. It is hard to bear the noticing, but here we are, all are with it. So Ratapala says, what do you think, great king? Do you have any chronic ailment? So do you have any ongoing health problem? He's talking to a man in his 80s, so it's a good guess there might be. Not always, but... And he says he does have such such a problem that sometimes his relatives gather around and say, now King Koravia is about to die. Now King Koravia is about to die. (laughs) What do you think, great king? Can you command your friends and companions, your relatives? Come, my good friends and relatives. All of you present share this painful feeling so that I may feel less pain. Or do you feel that pain yourself alone? Master Ratapala? I feel that pain alone. So again, the tendency towards pain. There, there are also wonderful things that we do alone, that we walk alone, that we can. It's possible. It doesn't mean rejection of companionship, warmth, support, nourishment, etc. It doesn't mean creating an otherness that I, and then an aloneness as a separate thing. But there are steps that we can make that no one can do for us. So not only the chronic wind ailment that King Korabia has. <clears throat> and then there's what we have. So the king had a lot of gold, etc. What do you think, great king? So we all have many different kinds of gifts. We all have a certain amount of money, but we have, there is so much richness in this space here. So not only the wealth, that is money. What do you think, great king? You now enjoy yourself with all of this. Will others take over this property when you pass on? So again, it's here we have death, and <laughs> can sound Disturbing, depressing, negative. So I would just reach for a a poem, a song of Kabir, where he also sings that we come into this world, all of us came into this world with nothing in our hands and wearing nothing. And we can also say with everything. And we will leave this kind of living with nothing. So Alexander the Great trying to hurry back home to his mom as he was dying of diarrhea said put my hands outside the coffin. He knew he was dying. So everyone can see Alexander the Great leaves with nothing in his hands. So again, it's wonderful that we need we need nothing. So in a particular moment we may need something that's helpful. But we're not made to be dependent on. And it's quite a beautiful phrase in, in the teaching. Nothing has anything of its own. So nothing belongs to you. Nothing has anything of its own. Life in any world has nothing of its own. I would kind of push through to a modern translation that means words that can come into us without getting us obsessed with negativity, which we've already done. Is that it's not about getting something to belong to me but resting into how you belong already. So, a not need to need. We'll leave the the fourth for tomorrow because the time is up, but if there's any question or comment, feel free. So I just, I'd like to just bring the poem in again to feel how now a spiritual movement is from being obsessed, being easily taken over by interest in what's negative, a movement from there to what isn't missing and what isn't wrong and what is okay not to say that there is a thing like that but how in a su- in our subtle experiencing with our roots we can start to feel from time to time a whiff a little bit sometimes a lot sometimes a little bit sometimes half a second sometimes days etc a new way of living that has lightness independence openness and not a need to own but a feeling happy to belong to living in any situation in any world own this is mine anything Anything. yeah our tendency because of our partly because of our biology we could say but also a lot because of our conditioning and then practicing that is to own and so there's a really funny um, terribly funny (laughs) short video you can look for the sickest Buddhist if you haven't seen it already it has too many um, words that are considered Inappropriate for me to post it on the Open Dharma Facebook page, or I would have many times. But anyway, it's in the rap language of own, where he goes to the, the meditation retreat and, and then he goes outside the hall and he's smoking and he's on the phone with his girlfriend during the retreat. And she says, hey, how's it going, baby? And she sa- he says, ah, the teacher told us to do a 45-minute and 45 minute meditation and I nailed it in 10. ten. <laughs> <laughs> I'm obviously not a rapper. Sorry. <coughs> and then she says, oh, cool, baby, or whatever, and he, sa- he says, owned. <laughs> <laughs> so it's in the rap language, but it, it does, it's, we can appreciate how... <coughs> oh, no. I'm going to have the song stuck in my head. <laughs> any other comment or question? Mm. Yeah. <coughs> Maybe I missed it, mm. but when the king said you don't meditate for this reason, this reason or this reason, why do you meditate? He meditates because, or he went to devote all of his time to meditation for a period of time. In his case, as a monk, that was how he could get the most support at that time. because he heard these four sayings that during that teaching the teachings that the that Gotam buddha gave to this big group of people he heard and four things really sunk in and we did three of them so one of them huh. let's see shall i turn to the book or the notes or the brain <laughs> well it's good i can review the three that we did today um one is that Life or living in any world is swept away. And I'm saying, ah, we don't have to do the sweeping. We can let it be swept away. There's the lightness of that. the second one. Okay, notes. There's no protection. And so I'm saying, what if that means actually we can live without protection? What if that means protection isn't needed in that way? What does that leave us with? So to say like vast openness, it's not just sort of a a little bit open. it's, It's too much for us right now. We slowly can acclimatize. And also the independence that We do need help, we do need to participate in life, but there's not the intrinsic built-in neediness, that I've got to get some power from outside to make me work right. And then life in any world or living in any situation has nothing of its own. There's not anyone or anything that owns anything by itself and so the possibility of uh, if we let that be what if that's like that we we find what we find is that we belong that's one thing that comes across and we can go more tomorrow thank you for listening thank you for being here May our practice and our lives be dedicated to liberation for all, in all directions, in all times. I'll stay here in case someone wants quietly to speak or ask or say something individually for a few minutes. I'll be here for a few minutes.